Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to The Pathless Path. I'm Paul Millard, and in this podcast, we examine the invisible scripts that run our lives and dare to imagine new stories for work and life. Today, I am talking to a friend, Isabel, who has been doing some amazing writing online. She runs the Substack newsletter, Mind Mine also has been posting some amazing stuff on Twitter. I'm going to link to both. All of my listeners should subscribe immediately. I feel like Isabel is in a sort of slipstream of just putting super interesting thoughts and deep wisdom onto the page uh, and I'm pumped and hope she keeps going. Welcome to the podcast, Isabel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Amazing. So we're going to talk about a lot of your writing today. You have a lot of ideas that I think about a lot. I think you're sort of reframing them in a new way and excited to dive into that. The okay. question I start out with for my guests, however, is what are the stories and scripts you grew up with as a kid that told you, here's what you're supposed to do, Isabel, as an adult, okay. to be a good person in the world? It's a great question. I think. I've thought about it a lot because I've been thinking about identity a lot and how much of identity just comes from, I guess, what we perceive to be the pillars of our worth as a kid. And it's subconscious, right? Like when you're looking back as an adult on what you thought made you valuable as a kid or worthy or whatever, um, it wasn't so active. You weren't like, okay, accomplishments make me worthy and therefore I'm going to pursue accomplishments. It was just like, you got good feedback from the world when you did X, so you pursued X and X required Y, so you got good at Y. Um, so I also do think, though, that from a very young age, I was very self-motivated and, like, driven. And even when I talked to my parents about uh, how much pressure they put on me or, like, if they had to convince me to do things, they always very much said that it kind of, they didn't have to push me much. So... I'm cautious to attribute what I am going to describe as the um, thrust of my like perceived worth as a child to anything but myself. Like I, I mean, obviously it was affected by my environment, but I wasn't like being pressured by my environment to do things. I think it was just me observing the world and perceiving what was going to like get me somewhere that I thought was quote unquote good or valuable um, or important. So. I think that I thought basically like hard work and success were important. And I guess I defined success as doing well in school. Um, I was in competitive gymnastics, doing well gymnastics, just 
getting good results in whatever I was being tested on, which again was mostly school, but also felt like conversations in life. Like I felt that from a young age, I kind of perceived those to be really potent sources of almost like hacks for life. And I definitely couldn't have said that at the time, but I was always very inquisitive and curious around older people, um, like adults, my friends' parents. I like loved asking them questions and always went along very well with parents. Uh, and I think that that was kind of part of some younger self tapping into this wisdom that I didn't like know how to describe at the time. But uh, I guess back to the actual question, which is, what did I think like made you good or made you worthy? Um, yeah, I think it was just like performance. And that was mostly being derived from school and athletics. And I thought the harder the thing that you could do and that you could excel at, the better you were. And so you should always be pursuing the thing that is hardest if you can do it. Um, and I think that that was like maths and sciences to me when I was younger because it felt like I don't know, the, the common dialogue around it was like, if you can do those things, then you're quote unquote smart. And if you're smart, then you should do these smart things. So I actually say that I don't think I had a lot of touch with my interests in high school because I didn't think that they were that important. I just thought whatever the hardest thing was, was the thing that I was not interested in, but like should pursue because Honestly, like my results were pretty consistent across all of my subjects. And so I didn't have a heuristic of results as an indicator for interest. It was just like consistency. And so I should pursue it hardest. And that was like math, science. And then I, I went into engineering um, for university. So yeah, that was kind of, I think it was like hard and good results. I like that. I remember one of the first things I read, you wrote this essay about ambition. I think you shared it with me a, a year ago. And mm, true. I resonated yes. with this. My parents didn't push me super aggressively. That's so common in other people's stories and they have to sort of detach and detangle. But a lot for me was this self-imposed, do these impressive things. And uh, in some ways, it was easier to untangle with that, but harder because I had sort of short-circuited my own curiosity. It sounds like you had lost, sort of short-circuited your connection with your interests too. Um, what was your thinking? I mean, I know you ended up in finance. Uh, that is a common path if you're trying to just be super ambitious and do hard things. Um, what drove you to want to break into that industry? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it was part thinking that finance probably was valuable and high status and, and the things that tend to push people in that direction if they don't have native interest there. Um, and part serendipity. I didn't really know where I wanted to take engineering, though I was pretty sure very early that I didn't want to do engineering as like a career. Um, and I just kind of happened to stumble into the world of venture capital within my first like year internship basically after uh freshman year i did an internship at a venture capital firm and honestly i thought it was super cool i was like this is great i get to learn about these problems i didn't know existed i get to be very involved in these like important and significant and executive decisions and i actually really liked like that basically felt like research was my job in a way 
and learning about these industries was exciting. Also because like my exposure to that point, I was like, what, 18 was just studying. Like, so that was so novel, um, actually engaging with the real world and learning <laughs> yeah. about things. I mean, obviously I was reading and everything, but in terms of like practically, practically applying my skills, I wasn't doing that much outside of um, school, though I did in university end up like getting into managing like a cafe on on campus and doing like other things. Um, I think this was my first taste of like, oh, this is a way I could engage with the real world. That's actually really interesting. So I would say that that was true and wasn't um, just like a sort of status motivated interest. But I also felt like I wasn't sure exactly how I could be in that world in a way that was very true to like areas and subjects that I was interested in. Um, and also I wanted to like try different things. I knew I was initially like very drawn to the world of startups and venture capital because it just seemed like in a way that was like the professional Olympics of uh, jobs where like the highest performing people seemed to congregate. Um, and I was always very interested in kind of like being near and around that group to try and learn what, like how they thought basically and how they function. So, um, I would say that was like my first taste of finance. And then the following summer, I did like an entrepreneurship program at my school where we kind of like started a venture over a summer. And then the following summer, I went to Singapore to work in a startup. But basically, I was kind of cluing into this whole pursue banking and consulting thing, just being like a, a low friction funnel for high achievers in around the second year. And I was very suspicious of it because I felt like everyone that I met that was trying to promote these jobs to us, like, didn't really seem to like them that much. <laughs> That's, that was my impression of it. Yeah. And I could be wrong. I, so like, I mean. It's probably true, right? I think a lot of these people volunteer for recruiting things to sort of escape the day-to-day -day grind. Yeah. So they're they're often showing right. up on campus, like, slightly uh, relieved, but not fully in it. Uh, so that's interesting. I think I was attracted to consulting for the similar reasons and actually mm -hmm. enjoyed it at yeah. first. But I, I love this part you wrote. I feel settled, tethered to the world in a stable, smooth way. That feels really comforting. You're talking about now after you've sort of taken yeah. a break from work. But this is a noticeable shift from how I felt when I was in a chronic state of performing. Yeah. So how did... How did you go from being in there, actually enjoying it, to this chronic state of performing? Yeah. Well, to be clear on the timeline, I would say my initial exposure, which was when I was around 18, I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen because it yeah, was the best thing sure. I've ever seen. And then that was written recently. So um, several, definitely several years later, at which point I guess I realized like there is a world in which I can be me in the world just purely and as potently as possible and that somehow be a way to make a life and like make a living and that idea became very interesting to me and I started cluing into this idea when basically I started consuming like Tim Ferriss's podcasts in 2017 2016 and I was like this and it like whoever is on this podcast are the people I want to meet they're the people I want to be more like um 
I just didn't realize like how many people were out there doing these non-obvious unconventional things and like absolutely thriving and giving their knowledge away for free on like podcasts and the internet. And I got very into that world, like the entrepreneur, like whatever content consumption funnel yeah. that you get put into when you start consuming Tim Ferriss, basically. And um, <laughs> same thing happened to me in about 2014. And yeah, there's something magical about podcasts. And maybe it's happening now as we're listening to Isabel for you listeners, but uh, <laughs> there's there's sort of this intimate like secret knowledge being funneled into your ears. Yeah. And you listen to enough of it and you start seeing new opportunities. I think similar thing with Tim Ferriss, I started and I didn't even realize it at the time, but it was now I had all these stories of people doing all these different things with their life and I couldn't pretend like that wasn't true anymore. Right. And so I think that sort of planted the seed of like, there's much more out there than just being an employee, but I didn't really know how to apply that yet. Um, And then over the course of exploring like actually what my true interests were, which started by realizing like it wasn't so easy to get great grades anymore. Honestly, Um, I was in substream or like a stream of engineering that was uh, a focus on applied math and mechanical engineering but like really the meat of the degree was this theoretical math and that was like very humbling like extremely hard um and for the first time i was like wow actually maybe the reason i liked school so much was because i was good at it not because i was actually interested in the things that i was learning and then i was like okay well that's true i wonder what i'm actually interested in because it's, I can't just like keep riding this performance wave forever, especially now that it's much more difficult to. Um, and that's when I got into writing online, actually. So I started a blog that summer when I worked at that venture capital firm. So it was the summer of like 20, 2017, I started writing online. Didn't really know why or what I was doing it. I honestly think it's because I was listening to like a Nobel podcast and he was like, if you code, you should you know, code and like post it on the internet. And if you write, you should start a blog. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll start a blog. Let him code. And this so, is this is medium. No, this was I actually had um, a website. I don't site. think it exists awesome. anymore. It was called like yeah. Stick with Is. I I was really rocking that. Um, very like WordPress era, just eating stuff on the internet. And this is so common. So many people that people see. Oh, Isabel started a new Substack, but always. When I find you go back years before people had already started writing online. Uh, did you have any early instances of connecting with random people, getting some feedback that inspired you to keep going with that? I think most of the feedback that I got was local slash like nuclear to my life. Um, I wasn't really New- at all nuclear and just like people oh, in my oh, network. I, I was like streaming it on like I Facebook. thought you meant like bad outcomes. Oh no, no. Nuclear and like nuclear family yeah, vibes, yeah. but my community. Um yeah, I was distributing it on like Facebook and Snapchat and whatever platforms I was using at the time. Cause really I was writing for basically myself and my friend. So I was getting the feedback from those people around me that were reading it. But I wasn't really reaching out to bloggers being like read my writing. Although every time I sent like a cold email to anyone, which I did a lot of uh, during school, I always had like a rel- a related article that I had written basically to lay um, where I could say like, if you want to know more of my thoughts on this topic or why I'm reaching out to you, it's because I'm very interested in this. I would like link my piece. And that I think 
was somewhere where I got a lot of good feedback. Like people would stumble down the rabbit hole of just like reading whatever rating I had put on the website. And um, I don't know. I think like, I guess the general benefit I've seen of putting rating online, just like maybe the yoke of this answer is that it, it really helps to cover a lot of context that you don't need to manually transmit to someone. So when yeah. you write your thoughts This podcast out, conversation, for example, right? I can go read hours of your stuff and I don't need to actually talk to you before the combo about what we need to talk about. Exactly. You can develop what sort of ends up being initially an asymmetrical intimate connection with someone where they know your inner thoughts pretty well. Like there are people that probably know my inner thoughts better than some of my friends because they've read my writing and um, not everyone does. So it's like you you actually I feel like I get more raw <laughs> times in my writing than in conversation because I'm talking to myself on the page. So I have I feel like I have much less to hide even though I end up putting it out into the world. Um, so, yeah. I think that that's how my writing served me when I was younger and I wasn't trying to distribute it. I always just had a link to send people. So you graduate and go to work for this venture capital firm. Uh Uh, We don't have to get into the specifics, but when did things shift from, oh, this is really fun, I like researching all these ideas, to, hmm, wonder if I should try something else? (laughs) Yeah, so I actually very enjoyed what I was doing. And actually, I I should rewind a bit. So at the beginning of my final year of school, I had just come back from Singapore, which was like my personal enlightenment, I think, or the seed of it. Um, (laughs) Travels, so common. Yeah, except it wasn't really travels. It was like I was actually very stationary. Like I was basically in Singapore for three months and I knew very few people. And I spent most of the summer reading and writing, like all day reading and writing. I just read like all those books that you start reading when you're like, maybe I have some special thing inside me that I need to like figure out what it is so I can figure out how to cultivate a path. Like anything that stood out? Yeah, like Monkey Soldier's Ferrari, Man Search for Meaning, like Essentialism, like Four Hour Work Week. Um, <laughs> just like a bunch of those kinds of there's something in you, you need yeah. to mine it. Oh, also, actually, probably the most important one was How We Imagine Your Life by Clayton Christensen, which I think maybe we discussed before. Yeah, that book was it. And it was completely random that I picked it up. There was this bookstore in Singapore that was like the best books, like the best business, like all those kind of genre um, for like super cheap, like used books. And I sent that book and I was like, well, I'm kind of thinking about this question, so maybe I'll pick it up. And then it turned out, I didn't know he had written... um, like Steve Jobs' favorite book, The Animation Dilemma. I I didn't even know that at the time. I was just like, I like this title. Um, and that that was probably the most life-changing book at the time because it was super right time for me. And I came back and I was like, you know what? I'm going to graduate, no job. Like, I'm just going to figure it out. Like, I trust myself. And then my opportunity came up and I thought it was a really great opportunity. And I also kind of had one day thought, like, maybe I'll go back to venture capital because it seems like a really cool place to meet the right people and to be exploring um, really interesting ideas. So I was like, I guess this is just happening sooner than I expected and went for it. And it was really interesting. And then I would say um, it was kind of, I don't remember exactly the timeline, but at one point I just kind of looked at myself and I was like, this isn't my job now. 
I was just like, I don't find myself very interesting right now. I think if I were someone else and I were to meet me, I wouldn't be very interested in who I was. I didn't hmm. have very interesting things to say. I didn't have very interesting thoughts. I was just becoming like, I don't know, like generic beige. Like I couldn't, I just feel like I had lost like my personal zest and spark. And that was very startling because I felt like until, and that was also the first year of COVID and everything. So. And who, who were you comparing yourself to? Does it sort of connect to thinking about those people you admired when you were younger, the older role models? Well, I would say I was comparing myself to myself. Like I was just comparing myself to myself at my most interesting, which is. There was just a hunger yeah. for more. You felt, ah, I'm leaving something on the table. That as well as I felt like I had let my interests wither. Like, I think this is really the thing. Like, it wasn't that I was hungry to be more or like be more interesting for the sake of being more interesting. It was like my interests had contracted and I had actively or passively let them contract mm. by nature of not nourishing them. Like, I just stopped writing. I started my job and I just stopped writing, which I hadn't done basically in four years. And I was like, where did that go? Like, how did that just happen? So um, it was just kind of this looking in the mirror moment and being and being like, yeah, there's a lot missing from like how I actually identify. That's awesome. Or it's not awesome, but did <laughs> that scare you? It's great. Seeing, <laughs> seeing, seeing the writing disappear? You know, at first it didn't because I was like, oh, okay. I need to back up before I answer this question. My my current theory is that we need to derive a certain amount of meaning in our life at any given time to feel like just satisfied and content and fulfilled. And at the beginning of my, of like starting a new job, I think it's, it, it's you're just learning a lot. So you can get a lot of meaning from just existing and doing your work and honestly your brain is like super activated like there's just so much new stimulus and new information to learn and if you're interested in it then it's doubly exciting like you're just getting a lot of meaning from like something like that even if it's not your like yeah. end game thing Same. which is why i think people tend to have a lot of their like meaning crises around one or two years into their job because they realize like oh now that the novelty of this has faded away how much of the actual meat of this phase of my life, of this role, of this whatever environment, wherever I am, is really what's meaningful to me. So I think at first it didn't alarm me that the writing stopped because I was like, oh, the writing was just something I did to supplement meaning because I wasn't like diehard interested in every single course that I was taking. But now I'm interested in my job. So like, I don't need to write. And then I realized like there was an element of perishability to that meaning that I didn't perceive while it was, you know, starting to um, flatten out a bit. And I think that's just the nature of any job and being young and starting something. So I was kind of alarmed that it had stopped, but I wasn't totally because I understood that it was not something like I had just given up on. It was just like I didn't feel like I needed it. But then I did need it. And then I was like, actually... I really do need something to supplement um, the creative part of my life. So then I went back to it. And is that what drove you to do things like write a passage? Yeah. So I, so basically, yeah, um, 
picking up exactly where I just left off. So that was around summer, like the summer. And I was like, okay, you know what? I really need to get back into writing. Also to this point, I had not met like a single other person I wrote online or just like blogging or like any of this. Like I really felt as though I was the only person in my life that even understood what I was doing. And then I just kind of found David Carell on Twitter. I also was just getting into Twitter in that summer. Like I basically wasn't a Twitter user um, until around then. And then I found David Carell and I was running right of passage. I was like, this one's perfect for me. So I emailed him and I was like, hey, can I join the course? Like, I'm kind of young. I don't know. Like, you, this is for me, but I really think that, like, this is basically exactly what I need right now. And I sent him some of my writing and I was like, whatever. Sent, sent, a, sent an email and he was like, yeah, join. Week later, I was in the course and it totally reignited this hunger and joy that I had for writing. It was definitely something about doing it with other people that I didn't yeah. realize I needed until I had it um, and getting feedback. Like all of these things I just was not dialed into at all before. Um, and then just being embedded in a community of writers was just, yeah, it was like this swaddle of comfort that I needed to really make it a priority again. And it kind of all just tumbled out from there. I, I'm I'm laughing when you're saying swaddle of comfort because I'm uh, in the market for swaddles now, and I, I was on Amazon looking at different swat swaddles last night. Oh yeah, you're gonna but, you're gonna figure out how to swaddle <laughs> real tight. But uh, yeah, I I have told David I'm so grateful for what he's created because it's sort of a, a meeting point for the creative weirdos online and. One of the most underrated things people uh, don't appreciate is finding other people that are creating and sharing ideas in similar ways can be more powerful than almost anything else. You don't need the right launch strategy. You don't need the right monetization strategy. Literally just having two other people saying, hey, what I think you're doing is cool. Please keep going can be so uh, motivating. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about uh, some of the people you met, how that encouraged you to keep going. Yeah, well, I think it was, I mean, it was a number of things. It was like finding people with a ton of intellectual curiosity overlap with me. Um, I felt like a lot of the content and the ideas that I was interested in, I didn't always have like a ton of residence in just like my local social groups. Um so finding people that had like cons literally consumed the same content as me, which basically meant that we had the same interests and like the same principles and values on some level um, was great. And just like connecting with people in that course. I mean, I connected with Mike who introduced us. So like it was just kind of like things like that. Like I met people, followed up with them. If I was, you know, in the same city, met up with them. Just having smart cool internet friends like what's a new thing for me so uh yeah that that that's kind of how i would describe that it was just like a totally new level of my life opening up and when after that course were you thinking okay i want to find a path to leave my job no actually i wasn't thinking that i honestly didn't really know how writing fit into my life i still liked my like i still it wasn't uh dislike for what I was doing that compelled me towards writing in the end, but a deep sense of curiosity for how taking it seriously would look. 
Um, and I think that's that's a distinction worth making because, yeah, I was I was not in pain from actually not necessarily like it wasn't the contents of my day that were causing me to question it so much as the curiosity of what my days could look like if I gave my full attention to something, which I had basically never done because I'd always been splitting my attention between things. Like as soon as I started writing, even in school, I was no longer focused fully on school. I was focused on school and writing and I was also like doing other things. So I was like, what's it going to look like if I just put all of the energy to have into one thing? Like that was really the curiosity that I had. And it could have been work, but it wasn't going to be work because I knew I had this writing interest and it wasn't like dying. Like every time I tried to kill it, it somehow started <laughs> back up. So I was like, I guess it has to be writing then. Um, so it was actually the decision that I, I wanted to see what, how powerful it could be to just do one thing that ended up helping me make the decision. Uh, I don't know if that answered your question, but that really was yeah. it. Yeah. It does. I think so many people that write see over time that it sort of creeps up on you. And then you realize, oh, this is a thing, right? And so I can look back on my path and say, I've been writing consistently my entire life. I just never connected the dots. It was like, oh, I'm just doing this blog or I'm writing for this thing. I'm writing this article for fun. And then it's, oh, this is the source of so much of my energy and wisdom and like this connected state. Um, So talk me through like eventually leaving your job and uh, deciding to kind of go all in on this writing chapter. It's funny because um, shortly before I made the full decision, I went on a trip with my friends to the Dolomites in Italy to go hiking. We did like four or five days hiking. It was beautiful and amazing and would recommend if you're into that. But uh, as part of that, there was like very little technology and our packs were, we were trying to be very limited. So I brought this like tiny little notebook like this big with a pen. Um, And one morning I just like, sat outside and this stream of consciousness and I think it was if I had put it on like a specific moment I think it was like that moment where I was like if I can climb these mountains and the world is so much bigger than I think it is in my little bubble back home like I've got to be able to figure out how to make this writing thing work like I know I want it deep down and I'm scared and like I don't know what it's going to look like And I really don't know what it's going to look like. Like, I have no idea. But the world is big and I can do hard things. Like, I should really just try this thing while I'm young enough to try it. And while I have enough freedom to have it be fairly low stakes. So I, but I was like so clear of mine then because I just had like no stimulus and lots of time to think. So I kind of forgot about that, uh, like kind of journal entry. And then I reread it fairly recently and I was like, wow, I really just predicted every single thing that happened in a successive next like three months. In that moment, it was just like full clarity, which probably speaks to like the importance of cultivating stillness, which I am writing about. But um, yeah, that is like one inflection point I would point to. I love that. And your writing has been awesome. I've been reading it and... I feel like there is something being channeled through it, which is really special. Are you feeling that? You know, I I am. I am feeling that. 
But I I feel like it's been interesting because I feel like people have been saying that to me a lot. And there's an element of just it being so natural that I'm not thinking like, oh, I'm channeling something. Like, it's just, it's there. Like, whatever I'm writing is just in me and like in my, I just feel like, I don't know where it's coming from. So it's odd to think of it as a channel, but I do think that that's what it is. And I think honestly, like something that has helped me share more freely is to view myself as like a channel in a container and not as so wrapped up in whatever the outcome of these pieces be like whatever I'm putting out like it's not it really isn't about me even though it is my like writing and it's coming through me um and it very much is about me like when those words and I'm talking about my life it's about my life but me sharing my writing like when I make it about me in my head it becomes much harder to do it and when I can just view myself as like a medium for whatever is trying to get out, it becomes much easier because then I realize like it's honest. It feels, it feels, and this might be a hot take, but I don't know. I've I've had to come to the belief that it basically is more selfish and self-absorbed to not share the things that I feel like I could share than it is to share them. And I know there are definitely people that think it's like self self-absorbed and all those things to share, which is, you know, everyone's entitled to their own thing. And there's definitely like an element of thinking that your thoughts are valuable enough that other people might want to read them. Like you do have to believe that on some level. But I also think making it less like egoic in my head and just making it less about who I am and my identity and more about like what I can get onto the page and hopefully channel as you said, um, has made it much easier. So I think initially I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm a channel or I'm channeling anything. But now I would say I have moved closer towards that camp where I'm like, I honestly have no idea where some of this is coming from. And it just comes through me. And sometimes I read it back and I'm like, yeah, that's, I don't know, like what state I was in when I wrote it. Like it is like there is an element of um, mystery to it, even to me. I love that. I I totally resonate with the disconnect between what you're writing. I think I've had people say to me many times, wow, I feel like your writing has reached a new level. And sometimes people say that to me. It's sort of something, it's like, this. I didn't think this was that good or I thought this was very obvious. And I, I think your writing has a similar element. I think you've said some things that they're written so simple and it's not a fancy sentence or something, but I read it and I say, oh, wow, that it's so obvious when you see it. It's like this portal right. uh, to a different way of seeing things has been revealed when you're the reader. Um, right. One of those things, like, as you said, related to this, you said, once it's written down, it doesn't belong to you. Yeah. I love that because I am in the same camp. I think one of the most generous acts in the world is sharing your writing and ideas with other people. And people think it's your identity you've put on the page. But what you're really doing is creating these permission slips to other people to say, oh, I think this too, and it's not that crazy. Uh, and then, yeah, you wrote another thing. Eroding this psychological block is to decouple your sense of self from the work while yeah. still expressing yourself through it. Such yes. a subtle balance. How do you do that in practice? <laughs> well, 
Um, <laughs> no, it's it's a complicated question. There's an element of needing to be ready to have this insight click. Like, I think if I heard whatever I'm about to say, like two years ago, I would have been like, this is nonsense. And I don't really understand what <laughs> that person's talking about. So if it doesn't make sense, like it doesn't maybe need to yet. But I think this is true of a lot of things that I've read and learned. I'm like, okay, this is interesting, but it doesn't make sense to me yet. Um, and then in the moment that I've needed something, I almost like know where to go back to find the thing that, that now is going to make sense. So this could be something like that for people. But yeah, so my 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 belief around art, creativity, writing for me, that's my medium, my channel. Um, when I say it's a medium for self-expression, I mean, aside from all the like thought and identity cobweb stuff that like gets in the way of like true, um, clear, unthrottled like sharing in essence like how you feel literally in flow state like when you're in an amazing conversation where you're not thinking like how am i sounding what is this person thinking of me what what do i say to sound like good when you're not thinking any of those things but you're just like pure pure output like it's going mind to mouth like without anything obstructing it um i think that that's like when your self is being channeled and i think when you're in your art and you don't have a sense of time and you don't have a sense of um, what you're even making, when you're just letting it come out of you, like that's expression. These are kind of extreme examples of expression. I think expression can be smaller things too, like how you design your spaces and how you dress yourself and all of these things that are small expressions of like your view of how the world should be, how your little world should be. And I think self-expression it's very related to self-trust and intuition. I personally found like the, the more I've cultivated like a connection with my intuition and like my gut feelings, I feel like I have a lot more access to whatever it is I want to express, which is the self, which makes sense because like you're strengthening your connection with yourself and thus you're able to express it. How this varies from identity and like associating yourself too closely with the work is that you I'm trying to think of the right words to say this well maybe I can offer I think the way I think of it is and this is sort of ties back to what you were saying before is a lot of people see writing on the internet and they think they're reading like a news site and they're supposed to have like a take right oh that person's take is this and they think this that's their identity right so when you're writing you sometimes think you have to do the similar thing but sort of like when I write something it's sort of like done right and then you're releasing it but you're still evolving as a person and when you look back in your writing you always say I'm a slightly different take than that so in that sense as long as you're not um building your life around what you say in your words, you can kind of have this continuous conversation with the world. Yes. I think of what I would add to what, to this like sort of, because I guess I understand why this is confusing to people because what I'm describing (laughs) is your art being an extension of you via self-expression. So if your art is an extension of you, then how could it not be attached to who you are? But I think what I'm trying to get at is that like your your container is not defined by the things that you create. Like you're not 
as good or as bad as like what people think of your mm. creations. You're not you, you, like you are not your value is not derived from the quality of your work and what your work is. And when you can kind of separate your sense of like self and your value from what you're creating, you become much less heady about it. You become much less like um, analytical about what you're making and you actually get to channel pure creativity because you're just playing like art is play so if you're just letting yourself be expressed through this thing like very naturally very organically very seamlessly then the truest part of you gets expressed in it and if you say okay it's done and it doesn't mean anything about me and i don't have to worry about what people are going to think about me isabel because of this thing i'm putting out then you feel free to put put it out like right away. Like you don't have to do this negotiation with yourself. And like, I think that that's worth saying because I felt for a long time that my decisions and my art and all of these things were like this, like just said these deep, deep things about me. And that slowed down a lot of my life. Like that just added a lot of friction. It made me much less sure of myself because I always felt like everything needed to be logical and pass through all of these different decision trees and like gates of matching my identity like matching my self-image and when I kind of let go of that and just said I am this thing and I am creating this other thing and I want this to be as good as possible because I want to put my full self into it but whatever it is in the end will be in service of others and the people that will enjoy it and is like separate for me um I don't know, that just freed me to share a lot more readily and honestly. Because when you're so in your head about what your art says about you, and I'm just using art as a placeholder, like whatever you're creating or whatever your work is, is like you can just drop that in. Um, Mad lib. <laughs> right into the art. But when you're so worried about what it says about you, it just gets obstructed by like all of this literally like cobwebs of thought that you need to work through and it just shrinks what it can become because you become so attached to this image of a person that it represents instead of just letting it be art and like be in service of the people that want to enjoy it and that can get something from it i have this idea that embracing the cringe is a sort of way to transcend the self uh yes <laughs> i think you've written a bit about uh, embracing the cringe, and I think this is the thing people hold people that hold people back because inherently, when you start, your stuff is going to look silly to other people. Um, how have you thought about embracing that? And you also have just these amazing simple phrases. You have a couple you've written: "Follow what felt right." That was all you're trying to do, right? And then. During a and holiday, you were saying, I'm just going to do creative things I enjoy. And right. Wow. I forgot about that. It's thing. just these yeah. s simple mantras uh, to remind yourself, like, there's nothing. That's it. That's You know what's so funny, do. though? When you say that, like, what strikes me about both of those that you pulled out, that is like pure child. That is like pure inner yeah. child. Like, it's is that just all, all life about, is, right? though? I mean... In a way, like, I mean, I'm, I'm hesitant to say anything is all well, of what life is, but I think a big part of it is recapturing childhood as an adult at, with maturity. So one thing you wrote 
you after you left your job, you're just saying, oh, I'm just redeveloping all my preferences. Yeah. Right. And I've seen this in sabbaticals and when people leave their job, they're just reminded, oh, I like these things. I forgot about them. Um, how much of it was that for you too? Yeah. I mean, I have, I'm trying to keep track of all the things that we just asked, but <laughs> I have a few different beliefs on that. I think that when you're performing, which is to say, when you're portraying an image of yourself that isn't what you truly want to be or how you want to act or what you want to be doing, the parts of yourself that you're not nourishing start to wither and they start to contract. They start to basically die. And slowly, it's not like death, but I think the self is just like the sum of all its small parts. And when you let some of its small parts begin to fade away, then you basically lose access for them at least temporarily you lose access to them at least temporarily and then if you decide okay wait i really want to rebuild these they're much smaller and lesser than what they once were however you think of them like oh i had great taste in x or like i was so into y you have to re you literally have to like throw sunlight and water on that again and really like nurture it as if it's like this new thing um, for it to grow back into what it was and then hopefully beyond. So I think when you suppress certain parts of yourself for long enough, they respond by just like stopping to send their signal. Um, and that's what I mean by preferences. It's like your signal, your inner signal just gets weaker when you stop listening to it. So I, that's what I've been very focused on is like cultivating, you know, nur- nurturing that, honoring that and paying attention to it. Something I heard recently that I'm really like just trying to develop my thoughts on. So maybe just bring it up in a podcast, but yeah, um, is this idea that like just like a very anti emotions take, like an anti feelings take that like acting from emotion demonstrates a lack of wisdom or something. And I was like, is that true? Like that feels very untrue to me based on my experience. I feel the most, I feel the most in my truth, whatever that means, the, the subjective thing that we're all going to define differently. When I'm paying attention to my feelings and emotion, when I'm not doing that, when I'm suppressing those things and saying, this is like a useless signal that's just product of evolution and doesn't mean anything to me now. And I should just do pure, um, like objective, like logic and not think about anything charged with emotion. I feel so far from myself, like so far from myself that I almost don't feel like I have a self because I'm just becoming this, this completely a programmed thing that is could be anyone like i feel like emotions mm. and feelings are what makes us us like that's the unique part of you and i just don't understand how acting in alignment with what you truly feel because what you truly feel also points you to your true interest which points you to the thing that you can do best because we can only do best what we're actually naturally interested in if you ignore all of that then you just become some like generic person that is not doing anything very interesting at all because you're not even interested in the things that you're doing they're just outputs from like a decision tree that was objectively generated that was a bit of a tangent but yeah i just think think everything comes back to feelings which is child and inner child i love i love this and i think your recent essay the one the toxicity of the toxic trait actually brings us alive in an even more powerful right way because when you say true feelings I think a lot of people have short-circuited their emotions at the sure. deep level. The deep the deep level you felt in the Dolomites, right? 
that is like the deep wisdom you're talking about, I think. But yeah. the re- the reactive like, oh, I'm just this way or I like this thing or I don't like this thing. I think people sort of get stuck at that layer. But there's this deeper pull. I think for me, opening up myself emotionally enabled me to see, oh, you sort of hunger for more out of life and you need to pay attention to that. And this might wind you down a path in which could be really hard. It might lead you to struggle, but it might also be worth it. And that's kind of my story over the last five or six years. And yeah. getting in touch my with my emotion has been the only way I've been able to keep going because you yeah. have to learn to trust yourself and your interests and what you actually care about. Yeah. I was just looking for my notebook because I just drew it. I posted on my Twitter so I could, we can like link it or whatever. Um, but basically there, I've been thinking about what we were talking about earlier, like the child thing and how your self-trust as a child is like 100%. You trust yourself 100%. And when people tell you to go against your feeling as a child, you're like, why? No, I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like eating that. I I want that. that I want that. Yeah, like you're just like, this is what I'm going to do. If if you're sufficiently defiant, as I was, (laughs) that's usually what you'll probably do. Um, But yeah, like we're just so trusting in ourselves as kids. Of course, there are things we don't know. We don't know stoves are hot. We don't know quarters are short we don't know um right and wrong necessarily yet like we're learning all those things and that's why maturity is important but the level of self-trust that we have as a child i think is the thing that we're trying to recapture and that to me is all about emotion and it's not to say you should act impulsively which to me is very different than acting intuitively impulse rises out of agitation and intuition rises out of stillness And if you are cultivating stillness and you are sitting with yourself enough such that you actually hear the signal of your intuition, you're not acting from a reactionary place. You're not acting because someone bumped into you on the street and there's so much anger and suppressed emotion inside you that you do something really stupid. You're acting from a place of calm. You're acting from a place of being able to weather whatever comes your way. And to me, that is like, that is the place to be. That's like you have touch with your you're in touch with your inner child, you're in touch with your emotions, you're in touch with whatever the self is, whatever that signal you're getting is, but you can handle it with the calmness and stillness that you can capture in maturity and in adulthood if you're willing to basically practice those things. And to do those things, you need to not dislike your life. You need to like your life and you need to have respect for yourself. And that's why alignment is so important. Like all of those things aren't as enticing when you could like go and just indulge in escapism because you don't like your everyday. So I think like all of these things kind of fall into place in a cascading effect. It's like a domino. You trust yourself. Then you like your life a lot because you're acting out of alignment and self-trust. Then you want to cultivate yourself to like become a higher being because you're so proud of like yourself and you're so excited to do more of your everyday instead of wanting to numb your everyday. And then like everything just flourishes from there. You're just constantly leveling up and wanting to get better and wanting to enjoy your life more. So yeah, I think it's all related. I love that. You're so fired up about these things. Then, what I know. I'm like hearing myself. I love it. And I I sense the same thing. I'm sort of I think a lot of where I get fired up is I'm sort of yelling at my past self. Like <laughs> there is this state that exists. You can find it. And why you didn't guys. you find it That's sooner? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what, how does that tie to, uh, like passion? And I think there's a shortage of earnest optimism and caring in the world. People are so afraid to say, Hey, I like writing. I care about it. I'm not making any money, but I'm going to pour my heart into it because I think it matters. Uh, why is it so hard to commit to things? Well, I think it's hard to take risks. And commitment foregoes a lot of open doors and opportunity opportunity that you are sold to, that you're getting by not taking risks. So I think the pitch for a lot of, like the opposite of what we're talking about, the pitch for like taking the safe, the safe path, which is actually risky, but is perceived to be the safe path, which is like to keep your job and just do like the things that society told you were valuable when you were a kid and, and just you know, not go too far from the well-worn path. Why is it risky? Why is it risky to commit yourself to things and to trust yourself? Well, you, well, you said the safe path is actually risky. Why do you think? Oh, well, the safe path safe is path. risky because, um, I mean, it's like a different kind of risk. It's the, it's, in my opinion, like, there's a great quote about this. I, I'd love to say that I remember off by heart, but <laughs> it's basically like take, risks of like bold character instead of risks of weak character and taking the safe path is a risky path because you still don't know it's not necessarily leading you to wherever you think you're going to go and having the desire to do something else and not following that desire is a risk in and of itself you're hoping that desire is just going to die you're hoping that you can be sufficiently happy and content in your quote-unquote safe life that you clearly don't like that much if you're thinking about all the other things you could be doing um, so it's risky in the sense that you'll weaken your the signal you're getting from yourself and, and risk losing parts of yourself by basically not following what you actually feel and want to do deeply. I feel like you're a, a bit bolder than me. You're sort of just saying, can we all stop pretending to like these <laughs> jobs? Like, that's not Is what I'm saying. Is there a bit saying. of that in you? I mean... I think people should stop pretending, period. I don't I don't All really aspects. feel like I'm in that. I don't feel like I'm in I mean, again, maybe that's too broad of a statement. I no, basically I, don't want to make it about people's jobs because I think some people like their jobs more than other people oh, and some sure. people like the cities they're in more than other it's not like about any specific choice or specific thing that people are doing, but more so about figuring out what is pretending for that person and then trying to to stop, limit, reduce that bubble of their life, whenever that is, whether that's a relationship, a job, a, a location, um, you're, you're like some bad habit that you're doing that you're hiding from. Like it could be anything. So I think it's about pulling everything into the sunlight, like sunlight's the best disinfectant. And I think when you're pretending and you're avoiding, you can't actually fix these things. Yeah, and I think what you're really getting to is what, I, and this is why I start out with one of the scripts you grew up with. I think for many people, they stay tied to these scripts and they perform what they think they should be doing. Yeah. And there's still not great off ramps. And this is why I think places like Rite of Passage are actually more incredible than people think because it's this off ramp to see the world in a new way and then find other people who are saying, yeah, we can, 
adopt these new ways of seeing the world together. And there's so much opportunity uh, for leaning into this, into the world right now. And I think that's the thing people are underestimating is that there's a lot of upside too in thinking and seeing the world in the new ways and embracing your creativity that uh, I think a lot of people are still underestimating. Yeah, so two comments on that. I think things like write a passage on, like anything that basically makes you aware of past that you don't know exist yet, what it does fundamentally, it expands your worldview. And so anything can expand your worldview. Course can expand your worldview. Meeting a new person can expand your worldview. Traveling can expand your worldview. Reading can expand your worldview. Anything that is novel to you has the chance to spark something in you that says, wait, whatever that was, I want more of that. And then you can just keep going down that vector of interest. Because the thing about interest is that it is a vector. It's not, it has direction. It has magnitude in terms of the potency of the interest is maybe the magnitude, but you don't know where it's going to lead. Like you don't necessarily know the destination you're going to get to with your interest, but you have a direction to follow. And as long as you take the next step, like the next step kind of appears. Um, So I think that that's what anything that expands what you think is possible does. And that can be content, that can be courses, that could be communities, that could be all of these things, people, accounts on Twitter, like whatever it is. And just back to the stories you're told when you're younger, I think this is an interesting point. I am very fortunate. I had two amazing parents, loving mom and dad. But seriously, they like definitely, I would say, I mean, they expected a lot from me, but I always felt on some level that there was a trust in me, like that they trusted me to make the right choices. There was a level of not getting too involved in my things. And maybe that was just because, you know, on some level, I was a self-sufficient kid and did law in school and did all the things that parents want their kids to to be. But I also like even when I like when I quit my job and did this, which was like I'm quitting my job to do question mark, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, explaining that to my parents, I was like, I don't really know how I'm going to do that. But they took it pretty well. They were like, OK, wow. well, I'm sure you'll figure it out. Like, <laughs> you're you. So like, you'll just you'll you'll do it. And I feel like that was like honestly probably the most important vote of confidence of like anyone, so maybe cool. including myself, because I was just kind of taken aback by the fact, like, because I guess how I would have answered your question a while ago is like I viewed myself as valuable for my achievements because I was getting a lot of um like praise and reward for my achievements. But when I look back, I actually think I was just getting love, like period. And um, I think, you know, and she went to maybe made that more frictionless medium and there was a lot of opportunities and everything. But I just think like my parents loved me a lot and they trusted me a lot. Maybe a part of that was the achievements was just proving that I could like do the things I wanted to do. But I feel like good parenting is basically letting your child become their true self and in a way trying to help get those obstacles out of their way to become their true selves not excessively because like friction and resistance are clearly good um but and i don't want to say clearly good but i do i do believe that like resistance is important um but yeah i think good parenting is is really about like letting your child do their thing and i think a lot of challenging things come in early adulthood for people that didn't feel like they could be 
what they want to be um, and feel a lot of obligation to the narratives that, as you're alluding to, um, they grew up with. And I really like bow my head to the people that are like unraveling and figuring out what their definition of success is after having such a rigid definition of success growing up. I mean, we all did to some extent, but it's hard work, like figuring out what success is to you. So definitely. And I'm still figuring it out. Uh, Unpairing from the default path uh, is only the start of a new journey. And I think similarly, I grew up with a lot of love from my parents I think yeah. slightly different though. <laughs> they were surprised when I expressed some of the freedom that they enabled for me. <laughs> yeah. They're like, wait, <laughs> wait, you, you're going to like go uh, really just follow what you want? Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, a lot of what they did has enabled me to thrive on this new path. And I think they're starting to see that, which is uh, really cool. Yeah, but, for sure. Uh, I mean, it was definitely confusion. I don't want to. I don't want to act like it was, you know, so seamless. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. they threw me a quitting party or anything, but they were just kind of (laughs) like, "We're not going to dissuade you, so we might as well accept this decision." Um, Me, but yeah, me and my wife, me and my wife joke that uh, our daughter is probably going to be like hardcore, like want to become a CEO and make fun of us for being self-employed. They'll she'll just like rebel against what we're doing. It goes like that sometimes, you know. (laughs) You can't really quite plan these things, but um, yeah, that that's beautiful. What you're sort of new to this writing journey. I think what you're doing is amazing. Uh, what kind of support do you need? What what are the questions you're trying to figure out? Uh, what's next for you on this journey? Um, you know, I think one of my biggest strengths, and like many, like most of our biggest strengths, can also be like something that leaves a void in other parts of your life is that I think I'm naturally a very present person. I think something that I didn't realize was that I was very present until like, yeah, I guess it just feels like a lot of people don't have that. Like they exist in the future in the past a lot. And I I obviously do that to to an extent and like probably more often than I'm aware of. But I think I've always been someone that's been very like where I am. And I try to like focus on where I am and I have That's goals great. and like goals. But I think when I get too in my head about where it's all leading on too macro a scale, um, it just takes me out of a moment. And like it takes me out of the ability to continue doing the thing that's making everything work, which is have my attention in the present. So I'm hesitant to answer it because I have got some ideas of where it's all going and what next steps are and everything. But I think the next step is to be in the next step, which implies that I need to be in this step. And I guess what I mean by that is I'm hesitant to project. And I just kind of think like it will all be dependent on my ability to continue being present and doing what I'm doing. I love that. It's I actually think this is the right way to have goals. I think far Never. too many people start to short circuit or fast forward and end up burned out. Uh, once you've found the work worth doing, uh, just build your life around that and mm-hmm. let it rip uh, and see where it takes you. I think that is so fun. I 
had this feeling in 2018. I sensed that writing was really important. I couldn't explain it to anyone, tell anyone where I was headed. I didn't have any goals. But I just came up with this mantra, write most days, and still doing it. And Still doing it. <laughs> seems, seems to be doing uh, okay. Uh, and it's cool yeah. to see other people finding similar things. Like it's, I'm so inspired by people like you that just dare to follow this kind of path. So keep going yeah, and we'll be rooting for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do like, I do maybe want to add like one layer of nuance that I think directionality is important. I think yeah. having a sense of where you're going while not knowing exactly what the place you're going to get to looks like to the T is important. I think like speed, no direction, just motion. That's not where you want to be. You want to be like having velocity, which is like speed with direction. And I wrote a piece about this called Forward Momentum. And it was all about finding a place where you could build forward momentum. And I feel like that's what I'm doing. I'm like moving in this direction that I trust and that I like. I don't know exactly where it's going to end or where it's going to stop or if it's ever going to stop. To your point, you're still doing what you decided in 2018. But I feel like I'm in the right direction. And that's kind of the most important thing to me right now. I love that. Where can people learn more, find more about you? Uh, yeah, Substack, I guess, and Twitter. Twitter, I am pretty active on, perhaps too active on. <laughs> but um, yeah, Isabel Unraveled on Twitter with one L on both the Isabel and the Unraveled. Um, and then on Substack, my Substack's called Mindline, M-I-N-D-M-I-N-E.substack.com. So those are probably the two best places to find me right now. You'll find Fantastic. me Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for joining it's great talking to you today. Thanks as so well. much for this conversation. This is great. I think I um, had a little more energy than I expected on some of the answers, but hopefully you got something good. And thank you for it. having me. Great questions, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Pathless Path. I love having these conversations. And if you want to support me, you can rate, review, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow me on YouTube where I post all the video interviews of this podcast as well. Finally, you can always support me by buying my book, The Pathless Path. It's a book I'm really proud of and has most of my best thinking and probably my best writing in it. And you can get it for less than 20 bucks. So grab that. It's in the show notes. And thank you for listening. Hey all, thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can of course check out my book. It's sold. It's going to hit 50,000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50,000, which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community, which you can find at pathlesspath.com membership. 
and you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.